0: me to introduce myself. I am Demonica Love, your host here at Midnight Malice. I am the voice of your weekly podcast containing all things dark and scary all the time. This podcast is not one thing, rather, like death, it is all things. Thus I am sure to have something for everyone here in my chapel. From poetry to short stories, A handful of my musings and late-night thoughts, as well as the unfolding manuscript of my book, Demons Don't Feel Love. Anyway, I would like to welcome you to tonight's service with a Cheshire grin and a firm skeletal handshake. Good evening, newcomers. Welcome to Midnight Malice. first chapter of my book, Demons Don't Feel Love. Wherever you are right now, take a moment to relax and close your eyes. Rest is necessary, more than most people are aware. Take this as a reminder to practice self-care and introspection. Take a deep breath and let all be well, just for a moment. darkest days there comes a time when life and by life I mean everything in it from you to your friends your entire situation there comes a time when it can all spiral downhill this crashing hopeless event or multiple events can happen at any given time in my case I was 14 when I watched the last of my bridges burn down before me. I'm gonna break it down clean and simple, for you'll soon find that my life has a whole lot more complexity than my beginnings. I came into this world as the should have been aborted daughter of an agoraphobic cocaine addict. It's okay, I've come to terms with it now. So my mother didn't abort me and her drugs didn't kill me. That's just destiny, right? To me, it's just sad. But that's fine. Everyone's story has a few chapters like that. Of course, you probably guessed I don't know who my dad is. That's also okay. I don't think my mom could remember either. Or maybe she just didn't want to. Either way, I've come to terms with that as well. I was only 12 or so before I made my own way on the streets, as staying inside taking care of my drug-dependent mother only depressed me more. I did what I had to do, and a lot of things I didn't want to. Much of my dignity was shoved down my throat, only for me to puke it up later with my next hangover. It wasn't easy, of course. Getting high led to things happening that I didn't always remember. I would wake up. Bleeding and sore, wondering which monster had torn me up this time. Maybe it's best to not remember that sort of thing. Probably too traumatic for someone of my mental state to handle anyway. I was 14 when I was introduced to heroin. I was dating a guy named Caden, who sort of took me in after a long night of being who knows where and doing I can't remember what. When I turned 16, I had my first overdose, but I'll save that story for just a little later. Okay, just one more time and I'm gonna stop. I thought to myself as I pushed the needle into my arm. I was beyond simply addicted. I was fatally attracted in more ways than one could count. It was a substitute for friends, family, warm, home-cooked meals, and self-care. My romanticization of the drug kept me under its heavy, skeleton-like hands. It was my lovely reaper. For two years, I medicated myself, ignoring my collapsing veins, my skin, which grew pale and thin, my malnourished body, brittle to the point of breaking, and the frequent bleeding of open sores which my tattered clothes could hardly minimize, much less disguise. Annabelle, at age 16, near the end of her addiction. Kaden, come here. I whispered to him across the alleyway. What's up, babe? He said and sat down next to me. How do you know if you overdosed? I asked timidly. (laughs) When you close your eyes and you don't wake up? He said while laughing. It's not funny. I'm sorry. You feeling okay? He asked. He was always so nice, despite the fact he was the kind of guy who could kill you in one punch. Not exactly. I replied nervously. Trust me, if you'd overdosed, you'd be dead by now. Maybe you should just stop and rest for today. You can get more tomorrow. He said quietly. Okay. I whispered back. I went inside the small shack that we called home. I laid down on the bed, which was basically just a mattress on the floor, and closed my eyes. A few hours later, I woke up. How long was I asleep? I asked Caden. Long enough for me to sell a few grams and buy some food? He replied as he flipped the bacon on the stove. (laughs) For the love of Christ! I yelled. What? He asked patiently. You coming down? No, I'm late for work. (laughs) Work? I'm the only one who works around here. He said count on you to ruin my sarcasm, I said moodily. Sorry love, kind of set yourself up for that one. He walked to the bedside and gave me another injection. A few days later, I realized what dying was actually like, and what the term rock bottom really meant. It was a cool day in September. The leaves had just started to change colors and fall. It was beautiful, but I couldn't enjoy it. I spent most of that month in the hospital because of my addiction. I got out of bed and took the injection just as I always did, but this time was different. My stomach began to churn and my veins felt as if they were on fire. Every part of my body went from being in agonizing pain to being paralyzed and numb. I collapsed, and for ten minutes I was throwing up, struggling to breathe. The last thing I remember was Caden screaming to me, ''Wake up! Anna, wake up! You're scaring me!'' I woke up in the hospital a few days later, Caden sitting beside me. ''Rise and shine, beautiful,'' he said with a smile. ''How in the name of God am I still alive?'' I asked, rolling my eyes. I guess I kind of hoped I wouldn't wake up. What was another useless day as Annabelle? If I couldn't be someone else, I could at least not be anyone at all. It was a real touch and go, but I always knew you were strong, he said, sort of smiling. His hands were shaking, and he kept looking nervously around the room. When he left, I knew what he was going to do. It was time for another dose. And that took precedence over everything, even me sometimes. Fuck, I muttered. Welcome to rock bottom, I thought to myself. From that moment, I changed. I went into rehab. Caden and I had a huge falling out after I told him about my admission into the facility. I knew things were better off, but he was the only person I knew anymore. Toxic as he was, I still convinced myself I loved him. However, what's done is done. That was last time I saw Caden, as he vanished into my troubled past. When do you think I can leave? I asked the nurse after several months of rehab. Well, you've still got a few more days here just to finish out your treatment, but I think you can leave Tuesday. I know, like, I probably haven't been the easiest to put up with. Fuck, I whispered. I felt uneasy. I was never the greatest at expressing how I felt I guess it was time to learn I don't know like I guess looking back on things while sober I see how controlled I was by the drugs I didn't mean to be difficult or anything I said quietly now love you've done very well you're strong willing and the only resistance you had was purely the effects of withdrawal. There's nothing wrong with that. You're okay now. But I want you to remember the lessons you've learned here with us. Don't let the drugs back in your life. Don't let your mind get in the way of your heart. You got this. She said with a grin. After the last of the sessions, I went home. Tuesday, just like she said. Oh, I guess you're probably wondering where home was. There was a really sweet family that lived just outside of the city. They were called Pearson, and they stayed in a place that looked something like a modern-day castle. They were alone with their money, for Gerald Pearson's wife, April, was unable to conceive. As happy as I convinced myself I was, my troubles weren't over. I never knew it, but my mind was still dark. Once an addict, always an addict. From substances to weapons, no matter what it is. And my mind was still searching for its next fix. Annabelle, breakfast is ready. I heard April calling from the dining room. It was my third day here and I was starting to settle into the routine. The dining room is pretty. I can describe it in one word expensive. A chandelier adorned with diamonds and gold hung above a table made of clean, modern glass. The walls were covered in light blue paint and the floors were pristine white. It was extravagant. I ate my breakfast and admired the most immaculate dining room I had ever seen. Suddenly my mind went to Caden. I missed him so much. My heart aches for the familiar touch, his voice, my mind began to daydream. I remembered his gentle hands pressed against my arm as he worked the needle into my vein. I remembered our highs together, laughing at how strange things felt, like the air and water, and how even talking felt strange. Suddenly, thoughts began racing through my mind. I wonder if I'll ever see him again. Or if he misses me. Oh my God, what if he overdoses and I'm not there to save him? It can't happen. I would die if that happened. I thought frantically. I finished my breakfast and walked upstairs to my room. I pulled out a switchblade and looked into the gold-lined mirror above my dresser. Breathe, Annabelle, just breathe. You'll be okay, it's over. This isn't something you should die for." I told myself, but I took the blade and made the first cut, and one cut turned to three, and three turned to six. I looked in the mirror, ashamed of myself. I had just traded one addiction for another. Hi, my name is Annabelle. And I'm an addict. I thought to myself. And you always fucking will be! I yelled at my glass reflection. The blood ran dark. Scars grew visible and began to stand out against my pallid complexion. Sometimes I would close my eyes and run my fingers along the ridges on my arm. They felt like mountains, only they weren't beautiful. They were damning, ruining any physical beauty I could have had. Any future I had would involve questions and obvious concerns for my health. Hospital stays and medications crossed my mind, therapy visits and anxiety attacks. I think I wanted to end it at that very moment. None of that sounded appealing. Still, I continued to hurt myself. It seemed to be the only way. A year passed, slowly, day by day. I struggled with the demons left from my past as I tried to move on, but recovery was never easy. I'm going to the park, I said. It was a beautiful day, and I figured a gentle walk would ease my mind. Gabe, okay, don't be too long. Lunch will be ready in an hour replied Gerald, who was sitting in a large, dark brown leather recliner, reading the paper. I walked outside and looked around. Winter was beginning to set in. The wind blew my hair across my face, and for the first time since I came to the Pearsons home, I smiled. I walked to the park and sat on a bench, and waited, waited for nothing in particular, But I waited, for the sake of waiting. Soon, I became aware of a peculiar sense of being watched. I looked behind me, and what I saw nearly took my breath away. I saw this boy, and I staked my claims right there. He wasn't the average guy you see at the park every day. His eyes, oh my god, his eyes were amazing. He had the most hypnotic, green eyes, but it was more than the color that got me. The way he looked at me, a look of desire. Okay, hurry, can't let him get away, one in a million chance, just go for it already! I screamed to myself, but I couldn't move, I just couldn't look away. Just come over and talk to me, I thought. Then I heard a voice. It was in my mind, I'm sure it wasn't said aloud. If I talked to you, it would be deadly. I had an instinctual reaction which told me to answer him, but I knew that telepathy was something that happened in fiction. Still, though, I felt I should have answered. To my dismay, he walked away, fading into the distance. Lost a good chance there, Annabelle. Nice going." I said to myself, upset at my social anxiety. I walked home in tears, feeling sorry for myself when I saw him again. I apologized about earlier. I'm usually a bit more social, but my words were failing me. It's fine, I answered him, wiping the tears from my eyes. What's wrong? He asked politely. Oh, nothing really. My day hasn't been all that great. Well, I hope that it'll get better. God damn, it's already noon. I gotta go. He said, and ran off into the distance again. No goodbye? Strange. I thought as I walked through the French doors of my house. By this time... I was completely numb. I dragged myself to my room, where strange things happened. I had several pictures on the wall, which were now facing backwards. I was puzzled. I wouldn't say I was scared, that's too dramatic. I'm not the one to just assume a house is haunted due to one isolated incident. But I admit this did raise a few red flags within me. I had always believed in spirits, but i had never had an actual experience, so I ignored it. I fixed the photographs and went down for lunch. After lunch, I walked outside into the backyard. I laid down and watched the clouds drift by, blissfully unaware that this would be the last semi-normal day of my life. 12 midnight, and today has been next to endless, a seven hour shift which quickly became a nine hour shift, and I'm now currently tending to my two hellhounds in the basement. I am exhausted. I suppose I'll drag myself to the bath. The fresh blood of the innocent awaits me. Good night, my fellow demons. This is Demonica Love your fatal host of Midnight Malice, signing off. Hello, my love. Welcome to Midnight Malice. Tonight, I have a special story, one that I've looked forward to talking about for the past week. Now tonight, I want to tell you about a man by the name of Albert Flick, whose name honestly just reminds me of that one ant from A Bug's Life. <sighs> I'm such a child. Anyway, this particular fellow has given me an answer to a question I've pondered for many years, actually. Ever since I was kind of young, maybe twelve or so, I've had this reoccurring thought that is, if someone who does something heinous gets released from prison before they die, and are particularly old, will they be just as likely to try again, even in their old age and despite having age-related health issues? Oh, how i longed for that answer. And my dear friend Mr. Flick has scratched that itch that always seems to come around in long, sleepless nights. To this man, I owe a sort of gratitude, despite his sinister ways. So, this man is seventy-seven. It's clear prison hasn't done his looks any justice at all, given that he looks to be around 84, with one foot in a grave and the other on something slippery and red. Interesting. So back in the year of 79, which puts his age at about 38 then, takes a knife and stabs his estranged wife to death in front of her daughter, whom she had had from a previous marriage. He went on trial and was convicted and sentenced to 25 years in prison for what he'd done so he gets out and he's 63 years old six years later grandpa gets convicted for the assault of another woman in 2010 the prosecutor suggested eight years but the judge like me just figures that one day mr flick's going to get too damn old for this shit will be forced by his own aging flesh to stop killing people. So the judge cuts his time in half and the old man goes back to prison for four years. It's 2014 now and our infamous grandfather is back on the streets. He meets a woman who's just barely getting back on her feet with her two sons. They've been in a homeless shelter for quite some time. And are just about to move into an apartment. Now this woman, her name is Kimberly Dobby, and that just takes me to Hogwarts, and that cute little socially awkward elf. Me and these freaking movie references, am I right? <clears throat> if anyone wants to binge watch the Harry Potter series with me in the dungeon, I'll be here after midnight, as always. Anyway, he gets deeply obsessed with Dobby, and stalks her to wit's end. But before anything bad happens, let me tell you, my man Flick knows a thing or two about this whole life thing, despite spending most of his doing squat in a jail cell. And I'm impressed. He knew that the fastest way to a woman's heart is through her children. He helped them out financially, and gave her boys generous amounts of healthy food for their growing appetites. You go, Flick. But he starts getting a little too attached to the single mother, and always keeps a few tabs on her. Everywhere she goes, Flick sees. After hearing about her plans to move into a new apartment, and that he wasn't part of that home plan, he grows violent, He murders Dobby gruesomely in front of her twin sons, and that was all that she wrote. Thus, my question is answered, no, one is never too old for murder, and that saying about a will and a way still holds true. Now Grandpa is convicted for his second murder, and has landed himself back in bars, absolutely killing it in that bright orange suit. Oops. Bad pun. Completely unintentional, I swear. Anyway, that is my story for tonight. And I want to ask all of you here. Did you ever ask yourself a similar question as I? Or does this episode simply confirm that I'm a touch more morbid than the average humanoid thing out there? Regardless, I thank you all for coming here tonight for our service. This is Demonica Love, your fatal host of Midnight Malice, signing off.